0: At Geisenheimer's by P.G. Woodhouse From The Man with Two Left Feet and Other Stories As I walked to Geisenheimer's that night, I was feeling blue and restless. Tired of New York, tired of dancing, tired of everything. Broadway was full of people hurrying to the theaters. Cars rattled by. All the electric lights in the world were blazing down on the Great White Way and it all seemed stale and dreary to me. Geisenheimer's was full as usual. All the tables were occupied, and there were several couples already on the dance floor in the center. The band was playing Michigan. I want to go back, I want to go back to the place where I was born, far away from harm, with a milk pail on my arm. I suppose the fellow who wrote that would have called for the police if anyone had really tried to get him onto a farm but he has certainly put something into the tune, which makes you think he meant what he said. It's a homesick tune, that. I was just looking round for an empty table when a man jumped up and came towards me, registering joy as if I had been his long lost sister. He was from the country, I could see that. It was written all over him, from his face to his shoes. He came up with his hand out, beaming. Why, Miss Roxborough? why not? I said. Don't you remember me? I didn't. My name is Ferris. That's a nice name, but it means nothing in my young life. I was introduced to you last time I came here. We danced together. This seemed to bear the stamp of truth. If he was introduced to me, he probably danced with me. It's what I'm at Geisenheimers for. When was it? A year ago last April. You can't beat these rural charmers. They think New York is folded up and put away in camphor when they leave, and only taken out again when they pay their next visit. The notion that anything could possibly have happened since he was last in our midst to blur out the memory of that happy evening had not occurred to Mr. Ferris. I suppose he was so accustomed to dating things from when I was in New York that he thought everybody else must do the same. Why, well, I sure, I remember you, I said. Algernon Clarence, isn't it? Not Algernon Clarence. My name's Charlie. Oh, my mistake. And what's the great scheme, Mr. Ferris? Do you want to dance with me again? He did. So we started. Mine not to reason why. Mine but to do and die, as the poem says. If an elephant had come into Geisenheimer's and asked me to dance, I'd have had to do it. And I'm not saying that Mr. Ferris wasn't the next thing to it, He was one of those earnest, persevering dancers, the kind that have taken 12 correspondence lessons. I guess I was about due that night to meet someone from the country. There still come days in the spring when the country seems to get a stranglehold on me and start in pulling. This particular day had been one of them. I had got up in the morning and looked out of the window and the breeze just wrapped me round and began whispering about pigs and chickens. And when I went down on Fifth Avenue, there seemed to be flowers everywhere. I headed for the park, and there was the grass all green, and the trees coming out, and a sort of something in the air. Why, well, say, if there hadn't been a big policeman keeping an eye on me, I'd have flung myself down and bitten chunks out of the turf. And as soon as I got to Geisenheimer's, they played that Michigan thing. Why, Charlie from Squeedunk's Entrance couldn't have been better worked up if he had been a star in a Broadway show. The stage was just waiting for him. But somebody's always taken the joy out of life. I ought to have remembered that the most metropolitan thing in the metropolis is a rustic who's putting in a week there. We weren't thinking on the same plane, Charlie and me. The way I'd been feeling all day, what I wanted to talk about was last season's crops. The subject he fancied was this season's chorus girls. Our souls didn't touch by a mile and a half. This is the life, he said. There's always a point when that sort of man says that. I suppose you come here a lot, he said, pretty often. I didn't tell him that I came there every night and that I came because I was paid for it. If you're a professional dancer at Geisenheimer's, you are not supposed to advertise the fact. The management thinks that if you did, it might send the public away, thinking too hard when they saw you win the great contest for the Leverly Silver Cup, which they offer later in the evening. Say, that Leverly Cup's a joke. I win it on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And Mabel Francis wins it on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. It's all perfectly fair and square, of course. It's purely a matter of merit who wins the Leverly Cup. Anybody could win it only somehow they don't. And the coincidence of the fact that Mabel and I always do has kind of got on the management's nerves. And they don't like us to tell people we're employed there. They prefer, prefer us to blush unseen. It's a great place, said Mr. Ferris. And New York's a great place. I'd like to live in New York. The loss is ours, why don't you? Some city, but dad's dead now and I've got the drug store, you know. He spoke as if I ought to remember reading about it in the papers. And I'm making good with it. What's more, I've got push and ideas. Say, I've got married since I last saw you. You did, did you? I said. But what are you doing, may I ask, dancing on Broadway like a gay bachelor? I suppose you have left your wife at Hicks Corners, singing Where's My Wandering Boy Tonight. Not Hicks Corners. Ashley, Maine. That's where I live. My wife comes from Rodney. Pardon me, I'm afraid I stepped on your foot. Oh, my fault, I said, I lost that. Well, I wonder, you aren't ashamed even to think of your wife, when you've left her all alone out there, while you come whooping it up in New York? Haven't you got any conscience? But I haven't left her, she's here. In New York? In this restaurant, that's her up there. I looked up at the balcony. There was a face hanging over the red plush rail looked to me as if it had some hidden sorrow i'd noticed it before when we were dancing around and i had wondered what the trouble was now i began to see why aren't you dancing with her and giving her a good time then i said oh she's having a good time she doesn't look it she looks as if she would like to be down here treading the measure she doesn't dance much don't you have dances in ashley That's different at home. She dances well enough for Ashley, but, well, this isn't Ashley. I see. But you're not like that. He gave a kind of smirk. Oh, I've been to New York before. I could have bitten him. The sawn-off little robe. It made me mad. He was ashamed to dance in public with his wife. Didn't think her good enough for him. So he had dumped her in a chair, given her a lemonade, and told her to be good. And then gone off to have a good time. They could have arrested me for what I was thinking just then. The the band began to play something else. This is the life, said Mr. Ferris. Let's do it again. Let somebody else do it, I said. I'm tired. I'll introduce you to some friends of mine. So I took him off and whisked him on to some girls I knew at one of the tables. Shake hands with my friend, Mr. Ferris, I said. He wants to show you the latest steps. He does most of them on your feet. I could have betted on Charlie, the debonair pride of Ashley. Guess what he said. He said, this is the life. And I left him and went up to the balcony. She was leaning with her elbows on the red plush, looking down on the dancing floor. They had just started another tune, and Hubby was moving around with one of the girls I'd introduced him to. She didn't have to prove to me that she came from the country. I knew it. She was a little bit of a thing, old-fashioned looking. She was dressed in gray, with white muslin collar and cuffs, and her hair done simple. She had a black hat. I kind of hovered for a while. It isn't the best thing I do, being shy. As a general thing I'm more or less there with the nerve. And somehow, I sort of hesitated to charge in. Then I braced up and made for the vacant chair. I'll sit here if you don't mind, I said. She turned in a startled way. I could see she was wondering who I was and what right I had there, but wasn't certain whether it might not be city etiquette for strangers to come and dump themselves down and start chatting. I've just been dancing with your husband, I said to ease things along. I saw you. She fixed me with a pair of big brown eyes. I took one look at them, and then I had to tell myself that it might be pleasant, and a relief to my feelings, to take something solid and heavy and drop it over the rail onto Hubby. But the management wouldn't like it. That was how I felt about him just then. The poor kid was doing everything with those eyes except crying. She looked like a dog that had been kicked. She looked away and fiddled with the string of the electric light. There was a hat pin lying on the table. She picked it up and began to dig at the red plush. Oh, come on, sis, I said. Tell me all about it. I don't know what you mean. Can't fool me. Tell me your troubles. I don't know you. You don't have to know a person to tell her your troubles. I sometimes tell mine to the cat that camps out on the wall opposite my room. What did you want to leave the country for with summer coming on? She didn't answer, but I could see it coming. So I sat still and waited, and presently she seemed to make up her mind that, even if it was no business of mine, it would be a relief to talk about it. We're on our honeymoon. Charlie wanted to come to New York. I didn't want to, but he was set on it. He's been here before. So he told me, he's wild about New York. But you're not? I hate it. Why? She dug away at the red plush with the hat pin, picking out little bits and dropping them over the edge. I could see she was bracing herself to put me wise to the whole trouble. There's a time comes when things aren't going right, and you've had all you can stand, and you've got to tell somebody about it, no matter who it is. I hate New York, she said, and getting it out at last with a rush. I'm scared of it. It isn't fair Charlie bringing me here. "'I didn't want to come. I knew what would happen.' "'Felt it all along. "'What did you think would happen, then?' "'She must have picked away at least an inch of the red plush "'before she answered. "'It's lucky Jimmy, the balcony waiter, didn't see her. "'It would have broken his heart. "'He's as proud of that red plush as if he'd paid for it himself. "'When I first went to live at Rodney,' she said, two years ago, we moved there from Illinois, "'there was a man there named Tyson, Jack Tyson.' He lived all alone didn't seem to want to know anybody I couldn't understand it till somebody told me all about him I can understand it now Jack Tyson married a Rodney girl they came to New York for their honeymoon just like us and when they got there I guess she got to comparing him with the fellow she saw and comparing the city with Rodney and when she got home she just couldn't settle down well after they had been back in Rodney for a little while she ran away Back to the city, I guess. I suppose he got a divorce? No, he didn't. He still thinks she may come back to him. He still thinks she'll come back? After she's been away three years? Yes. He keeps her things just the same as she left him when she went away. Everything's just the same. But he's isn't angry with her for what she did. If I was a man and girl treating me that way, I'd be up to murder her if she tried to show up again. No, he wouldn't. No, would I've... If anything like that happened to me, I'd wait and wait and go on hoping all the time. And I'd go down to the station and meet the train every afternoon, just like Jack Tyson. Something splashed on the tablecloth. and made me jump. For goodness sake, I said. What's your trouble? Brace up. I know it's a sad story, but it's not your funeral. It is, it is. The same thing's gonna happen to me. Take a hold on yourself. Don't cry like that. I can't help it. Oh well, if I knew it would happen. It's happening right now. Look, look at him. I glanced over the rail and I saw what she meant. There was her Charlie dancing all over the floor as if he had just discovered that he hadn't lived until then. I saw him say something to the girl he was dancing with. I wasn't near enough to hear it, but I bet it was this is the life. If I had been his wife in the same position as this kid, I guess I'd have felt, felt just as bad as she did. For if ever a man exhibited all the symptoms of incurable New york it was this Charlie Ferris. I'm not like these New York girls, she choked. I can't be smart. I don't want to be. I just want to live at home and be happy. I knew it would happen if we came to the city. He doesn't think me good enough for him. He looks down on me. Pull yourself together, and I do love him so. Goodness knows what I should have said if I could have thought of anything to say. But just then the music stopped, and somebody on the floor began to speak. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, there will now take place our great number contest, this genuine sporting contest. It was Izzy Bearman making his nightly speech introducing the Leverly cup. And it meant that for me, duty called. From where I sat, I could see Izzy looking about the room and I knew he was looking for me. It's the management's nightmare. that one of these evenings, Mabel or I won't show up. Somebody else will get away with the Leverly cup. Sorry, I've got to go, I said. I've got to be in this. And then suddenly I had the great idea. It came to me like a flash. I looked at her, crying there. I looked over the rail at Charlie, the boy wonder. And I knew that this was where I got a stranglehold on my place in the Hall of Fame, along with the great thinkers of the age. Come on, I said. Come along, stop crying and powder your nose and get a move on. You're going to dance this. But Charlie doesn't want to dance with me. It may have escaped your notice, but your Charlie is not the only man in New York, or even in this restaurant. "'I'm going to dance with Charlie myself, "'and I'll introduce you to someone "'who can go through the moves. "'Listen. "'The lady of each couple,' "'this was Izzy getting it off his diaphragm, "'will receive a ticket containing a number. "'The dance will then proceed "'and the numbers will be eliminated one by one. "'Those called out by the judge "'kindly returning to their seats "'as their number is called.' The number finally remaining is the winning number. The contest is a genuine sporting contest, decided purely by the skill of the holders of the various numbers. As he stopped, blushing at the age of six, will ladies now kindly step forward and receive their numbers. The winner, the holder of the number left on the floor when the other numbers have been eliminated. I could see Izzy getting more and more uneasy, wondering where on earth I'd got to. We'll receive this lovely silver cup presented by the management. Ladies will now kindly step forward and receive their numbers. I turned to Mrs. Charlie. There, I said, don't you want to win a lovely silver cup? But I couldn't. You never know your luck isn't luck didn't you hear him say it's a contest decided purely by skill well try your skill then i felt as if i could have shaken her for goodness sake i said show a little grit aren't you going to stir a finger to keep your charlie suppose you win think what it will mean he will look up to you for the rest of your life when he starts talking about new york all you'll have to say is new york oh yes that was the town i won that lovely silver cup in was it not and he'll drop as if you'd hit him behind the ear with that sandbag. Pull yourself together and try. I saw those brown eyes of hers flash. She said, I'll try. Good for you, I said. Now you get those tears dried and fix yourself up and I'll go down and get the tickets. Izzy was mighty relieved when I bore down on him. Gee, he said, I thought you'd run away it was sick or something. Here's your ticket. I want two, Izzy. One's for a friend of mine. And I say, Izzy, I'd, I'd take it as a personal favor if you would let her stop on the floor as one of the last two couples. There's a reason. She's a kid from the country, and she wants to make a hit. Sure, that'll be all right. Here are the tickets. Yours is 36. Hers is 10. Don't go mixing them. I went back to the balcony. On the way, I got hold of Charlie. We're dancing this together, I said. He grinned all across his face. I found Mrs. Charlie, looking as if she had never shed a tear in her life. She certainly had plucked that kid. Come on, I said, stick to your ticket like wax and watch your step. I guess you've seen these sporting contests at Geisenheimer's, or if you haven't seen them at Geisenheimer's, you've seen them somewhere else. They're all the same. When we began, the floor was so crowded that there was hardly elbow room. Don't tell me there aren't any optimists nowadays. Everyone was looking as if they were wondering whether to have the Leverly Cup in the sitting room or the bedroom. You never saw such a hopeful gang in your life. Presently, Izzy gave tongue. The management expects him to be humorous on these occasions, so he did his best. Numbers 7, 11, and 21 will kindly rejoin their sorrowing friends gave us a little more elbow room and the band started again a few minutes later Izzy once more numbers 13, 16 and 17 goodbye off we went again number 12 we hate to part with you but back to your table a plump girl in a red hat who had been dancing with a kind smile as if she were doing it to amuse the children left the floor Number six, fifteen, and twenty. Thumbs down. And pretty soon the only couples left were Charlie and me. Mrs. Charlie and the fellow that I'd introduced her to. And a bald-headed man and a girl in a white hat. He was one of your stick-at-it performers. He had been dancing all the evening. I had noticed him from the balcony. He looked like a hard-boiled egg from up there. He was a trier, all right, that fellow. And had things been otherwise so to speak i'd have been glad to see him when but it was not to be oh no number 19 you're getting all flushed take a rest so there it was a straight contest between me and charlie and mrs charlie and her man every nerve in my system was tingling with suspense and excitement was it not it was not charlie as I've already hinted, was not a dancer, who took much of his attention off his feet while in action. He was there to do his derndest, not to inspect objects of interest by the wayside. The correspondence college he'd attended doesn't guarantee to teach you to do two things at once. It won't bind itself to teach you to look around the room while you're dancing. So Charlie hadn't the least suspicion of the state of the drama he was breathing heavily down my neck in a determined sort of way, with his eyes glued to the floor. All he knew was that the competition had thinned out a bit and the honor of Ashley Maine was in his hands. You know how the public begins to sit up and take notice when these dance contests have been narrowed down to two couples. There are evenings when I quite forget myself when I'm one of the last two left in and get all excited. There's a sort of hum in the air and as you go round the room, people at the table start applauding. Why, if you didn't know about the inner workings of the thing, you'd be all of a Twitter. It didn't take my practice a year long to discover that it wasn't me and Charlie that the great public was cheering for. We would go round the floor without getting a hand, and every time Mrs. Charlie and her guy got to a corner, there was a noise like election night. She sure had made a hit. I took a look at her across the floor and I didn't wonder. She was a different kid from what she'd been upstairs. I never saw anybody look so happy and pleased with herself. Her eyes were like lamps and her cheeks all pink. She was going at it like a champion. I knew what had made a hit with the people. It was a look of her. She made you think of fresh milk and new laid eggs and bird singing. To see her was like getting away to the country in August. It's funny about people who live in the city chuck out their chests and talk about little old new york being good enough for them there's a street in heaven they call broadway and all the rest of it but it seems to me that what they really live for is that three weeks in the summer when they get away into the country i knew exactly why they were cheering so hard for miss charlie she made them think of their holidays which were coming along when they would go and board at the farm and Drink out of the old oaken bucket and call the cows by their first names. Gee, I felt just like that myself. All day the country had been tugging at me. Now it tugged worse than ever. I could have smelled the new mown hay. If it wasn't that, when you're in Geisenheimers, you have to smell Geisenheimers. Because it leaves no chance for competition. Keep working, I said to Charlie. Looks to me as if we're going back into the bedding. Uh Uh-huh, he says, too busy to blink. Do some of those fancy steps of yours. We need him in our business. And the way that boy worked, it was astonishing. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see Izzy Behrman, and he wasn't looking happy. He was nerving himself for one of those quick referees' decisions, the sort you make and then duck under the ropes and run five miles to avoid the incensed populace. It was this kind of thing happening every now and then that prevented his job being perfect. Mabel Francis told me that one night when Izzy declared her the winner of the great sporting contest, it was such a raw work that she thought there'd have been a riot. It looked pretty much as if he was afraid the same thing was going to happen now. There wasn't a doubt which of us two couples was the one the customers wanted to see win that lovely silver cup. It was a walkover for Mrs. Charlie. Charlie and I were simply among those present. But Izzy had to do his duty and drew a salary for doing it. So he moistened his lips, looked round to see that his strategic railways weren't blocked, swallowed twice, and said in a husky voice, Number 10, please retire. I stopped at once. Come along, said I to Charlie that's our exit cue and we walked off the floor amidst applause well says Charlie taking out his handkerchief and attending to his brow which was like the village blacksmiths we didn't do so bad did we we didn't do so bad I guess we and he looked up at the balcony expecting to see the dear little wife draped over the rail worshipping him when just as his eye is moving up It gets caught by the sight of her, a whole heap lower down than he had expected. On the floor, in fact. She wasn't doing much in the worshiping line just at that moment. She was too busy. It was a regular triumphal progress for the kid. She and her partner were doing one or two rounds now for exhibition purposes, like the winning couple always do at Geisenheimer's. And the room was fairly rising at them. You'd have thought from the way they were clapping, that they had been betting all their spare cash on her. Charlie gets her well focused, then lets his jaw drop, till he pretty much near bumped it against the floor. But, 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 I know. It begins to look as if she could dance pretty well enough for the city after all. It begins to look as if she had sort of put one over on somebody, don't it? It begins to look as if It were a pity you didn't think of dancing with her yourself. You come along and have a nice cold drink, and you'll soon pick up. He tottered after me to a table, looking as if he had been hit by a streetcar. He had got his. I was so busy looking after Charlie, flapping the towel and working on him with the oxygen, that if you'll believe me, it wasn't for quite a time that I thought of glancing around to see how the thing had struck Izzy Behrman. If you can imagine a fond father whose only son has hit him with a brick, jumped on his stomach, and then gone off with all his money, you have a pretty good notion of how poor old Izzy looked. He was staring at me across the room and talking to himself and jerking his hands about. Whether he thought he was talking to me or whether he he was rehearsing the scene where he broke it to the boss that a mere stranger had got away with his lovely silver cup. I don't know. Whichever it was, he was being mighty elegant. I gave him a nod, as much as to say that it would all come right in the future. And then I turned to Charlie again. He was beginning to pick up. She won the cup, he said in a dazed voice, looking at me as if I could do something about it. You bet she did, but well, what do you know about that? I saw that the moment had come to put it straight to him. I'll tell you what I know about it. If you take my advice, you'll hustle that kid straight back to Ashley or wherever it is that you said you poison the natives by making up the wrong prescriptions before she gets New York into her system. When I was talking to her upstairs, she was telling me about a fellow in her village who got it in the neck just the same as you're apt to do. He started. She was telling you about Jack Tyson? That was his name, Jack Tyson. He lost his wife through letting her have too much New York. Don't you think it's funny she should have mentioned him? If she hadn't some idea that she might act just the same as his wife did? He turned quite green. You don't think she would do that? Well, if you'd heard her, she couldn't talk of anything except his Tyson and what he did to his wife. She talked of it, sort of sad, kind of regretful, as if she was sorry, but felt that it had to be. I could see she had been thinking about it a whole lot. Charlie stiffened in his seat, and then began to melt with pure fright. He took up his empty glass with a shaking hand and drank a long drink out of it. It didn't take much observation to see that. He had had the jolt he wanted. It was going to be a whole heap less jaunty and metropolitan from now on. In fact, the way he looked, I should say he had finished with metropolitan jauntiness for the rest of his life. I'll take her home tomorrow, but will she come? That's up to you if you can persuade her. Here she is now. I should start at once. Mrs. Charlie, carrying the cup, came to the table. I was wondering what would be the first thing she would say. If it had been Charlie, of course... He'd have said, "'This is the life!' But I'd look for something snappier from her. If I'd been in her place, there were at least ten things I could have thought of to say, each nastier than the other. She sat down and put the cup on the table, and she gave the cup a long look, Then she drew a deep breath, and she looked at Charlie. "'Oh, Charlie, dear, I do wish I'd been dancing with you.' Well, I'm not sure that that wasn't just as good as anything I would have said. Charlie got right off the mark. After what I had told him, he wasn't wasting any time. Darling, you're a wonder. What will they say about this at home? He did pause here for a moment, for it took nerve to say it, but then he went right on. Mary, how would it be if we went home right away, first train tomorrow, and showed it to them? Oh, Charlie, his face lit up as if somebody had pulled the switch. You will? You don't want to stop on? You aren't wild about New York? If there was a train, I'd start tonight, but I thought you loved the city so, Charlie. He gave a kind of shiver. I never want to see it again in my life. You'll excuse me, I said, getting up. I think there's a friend of mine wants to speak with me and I crossed over to where Izzy had been standing for the last five minutes, making signals to me with his eyebrows. You couldn't have called Izzy coherent at first. He certainly had trouble with his vocal cords, poor fellow. It was one of those African explorer men used to come to Geisenheimer's a lot when he was home from roaming the trackless desert. And he used to tell me about tribes he had met who didn't use real words at all, but Talk to one another in clicks and gurgles. He imitated some of their chatter one night to amuse me, and believe me, Izzy Bearman started talking the same language now, only he didn't do it to amuse me. He was like one of those gramophone records when it's getting into its stride. Be calm, Isidore, something is troubling you. Tell me all about it. He clicked some more and then he got it out. Say, are you crazy? What did you do it for? Didn't I tell you plain as I could? Didn't I say it 20 times when you came for the tickets that yours was 36? Didn't you say my friend's was 36? Are you deaf? I said hers was 10. Then I said handsomely, say no more. The mistake was mine. It begins to look as if I must have got them mixed. He did a few Swedish exercises. Say no more. That's good. That's great. You've got nerve. I'll say that. It was a lucky mistake, Izzy. It saved your life. The people would have lynched you if, if they had given me the cup. They were solid for her. What's the boss going to say when I tell him? Never mind what the boss will say. Haven't you any romance in your system, Izzy? Look at those two sitting there with their heads together. Isn't it worth a silver cup to have made them happy for life? They're on their honeymoon, Isidore. Tell the boss exactly how it happened. Say that I thought it was up to Geisenheimers to give them a wedding present. He clicked for a spell. Ah, oh, he said, now you've done it. You've given yourself away. You did it on purpose. You mixed those tickets on purpose, I thought as much. Say, who do you think you are doing this sort of thing? Don't you know that professional dancers are three for 10 cents? I could go out there right now and whistle and get a dozen girls for your job. The boss will sack you just one minute after I tell him. No, he won't, Izzy, because I'm going to resign. you better That's what I think. I'm sick of this place, Izzy. I'm sick of dancing. I'm sick of New York. I'm sick of everything. I'm going back to the country. I thought I'd got the pigs and chickens clear out of my system, but I hadn't. I've suspected it for a long, long time. Tonight, I know it. Tell the boss with my love that I'm sorry, but it had to be done. And if he wants to talk back, he must do it by letter Mrs. John Tyson Rodney, Maine is the address.